everybody, and welcome to the PaxX Podcast, now available on iTunes. This is episode 11 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mary. This is exciting. This is kind of our first on-location episode, I believe. Very true. Very true. I should tell our listeners that we are in Hamburg right now for the Aircraft Interiors Expo. And we happen to be at an event uh, being sponsored by Runway Girl Network and GoGo and enjoying a couple beverages during our show. So apologies for any hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> But before we get started, we would like to thank GoGo for sponsoring this week's podcast. GoGo is the market leader in providing in-flight connectivity in the United States. The company is now extending its reach, offering KU-band connectivity for international flights and also ultimately KA-band connectivity because it's a service distribution partner to Inmarsat's Global Express service. So thank you, GoGo, and thanks for creating these wonderful drinks for the first annual Roma Girl Network Go Go Hamburg Aviation Social Mixer. We've got Runaway Girls and Go Go Dancers here, Max. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I wish I was there joining you. I wish you were too. But what we do have here, who we do have here, is um, Seth Miller, who probably needs no introduction. He is a loyalty program expert who blogs as Wandering Airmen, and uh, he has been on our show before. And I'm pleased to announce that he is now also a member of the network team of contributors, and he's joining us here at the Mixer. Seth, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing very well, Mary. It's a pleasure to be one of the Runway Girls. (laughs) <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you as one of our girls. <laughs> Max, I told you we weren't going to be sexist. I know, and you're uh, proving that that's, uh, that's quite the case. Seth, it's great to be talking with you again. Likewise. Well, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories making the headlines. And since Mary and Seth are at this mixer, uh, let's first talk about GoGo. Mary, now, I understand that the company is about to launch a new global KU band connectivity service for airlines there at the Aircraft Interiors Expo. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we were able to tease an article on the network about uh, a global ground-to-orbit solution. Now, of course, you can't have the ground element in that type of offering because you need to do everything via satellite. So what we're hearing, and I have to say I don't have confirmation yet, we're not going to know until tomorrow, but what I'm hearing is that they're going to do two of these new ThinkCom antennas under the same hood. Now, Seth is going to understand what this means. Not just one of those antennas that we saw last year at the Apex Expo, but two under the same hood, Seth, on aircraft for global uh, high-speed, truly super-fast speed KU-band connectivity. What do you think? I, I like the idea. I think that you know the concept that they've come up with with splitting send and receive to sort of make more efficient use of the bandwidth and save some money in the process uh, makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, now they have to figure out how to reasonably get two of these devices under the one dome and make it you know, aerodynamic enough and fuel efficient and all those things, but the ThinCom antennas are super small and fit well under the dome. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, you also have the potential, in theory, if you've got a company that also has a TV solution that now you need a third dish on board. Uh, Very true. I mean, at some point, the planes are going to start to look like that mumps, I suppose, <laughs> or the chicken pox. But, uh, you know, I, I think that for where the industry is and where we're going, that is the solution that's got to play. Right. And obviously, you know, one of the nice things about GoGo is they are somewhat technology agnostic. 
Uh, they find a smart technology they like, and they use it until it can't squeeze any more out of it, and then you know move on to the next great thing. And so they're doing KU now. Obviously, when KA Global coverage shows up, and they've already got the deal with Inmarsat to be able to cover that, right? So when that shows up, we'll be able to swap out one of these, rate, you know, swap out the antennas on top of the plane and basically plug it back into the same GoGo box on board, and you're going to go from having better high-speed internet at a reasonable price globally to way great high-speed internet at a fantastic price globally. Absolutely. Um, so it's really scalable like that, which is always nice to yeah, see yeah. someone thinking and planning in that manner. Yeah, and absolutely, and they must. And we have to we have to mention this, that Panasonic Avionics uh, owns a 70% market share in the embedded in-flight entertainment space. And what Panasonic has been doing, it has been quite obviously mopping the floor on the international space by offering a, a near-global KU band solution um, that, you know, they're able to offer these nice deals to their long-running embedded IFE customers. So GoGo definitely has a, a, you know, a challenge on its hands here going up against the, what is considered the always the elephant in the room in the world of IFEC, Panasonic Avionics. But we can't think of a better company uh, to do that. They really do seem to, uh, to know their stuff. Obviously, in the United States, they are, have a dominant position and have had for some time due to the fact that there's a dedicated air-to-ground network in the U.S. Um, they are pr- gradually progressing now on their KU program with Delta Airlines. I'm happy to report that um, both the A330 program is moving along and obviously the 747 program. And also we're hearing good news about the 767 program, which has uh, had some issues, but they're finding a way forward. And now uh, they're even talking about uh, looking at trying to get STC now for the 757. Um, so it's trending in the right direction. I think they're doing the right things. Um, but obviously, Max, connectivity remains such a huge conversation in the world of aircraft interiors and technology. Um, and I, I do wonder, Max, sometimes if you get bored with us talking about it all the time. <laughs> oh, not at all. I do have a question, though. I was curious if you have any any uh, comments on the significance of the timing of this announcement, if any. Well, I'll tell you right now that they're, again, they're going up against Panasonic, and Panasonic has announced some very large customers. So Panasonic has now in the bag, it's got Emirates, it's got Etihad Airways, it even just recently cracked into Qatar Airways, so they're like really kind of going for it in the Middle East. They've got on the international fleet of Japan Airlines now, they're starting to equip uh, Cathay Pacific and Dragon Air, Gulf Air, so we're talking about really big names, Singapore Airlines. Um, so GoGo needed to do something that would grab the market's attention, and I really think that it's this is the way forward. What we should mention is that this thing com antenna is very wide in circumference. It's it's actually the widest out there. Um, but what it is is it's low profile, so it's lower to the aircraft, and they shouldn't face the same type of bird strike testing issues that they've had in the past with the traditional KU kind of larger hump on top of the aircraft. That's essential. As you know yourself, Max, we've talked about it. I've talked your ear off about flinging chickens, but that that actually is going to make a big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we move on to uh, the next topic, which is about the uh, kind of the effect of the aircraft order books. We have seen many airlines uh, order huge numbers of aircraft, and so the backlog is is very large for all of the airframers. And I know we're going to talk about whether or not the industry can keep pace with that demand. But uh, first, I'm curious, maybe Seth, can you give us your take on what you look for as a passenger? Yeah, I think personal space 
uh, much to Mary's chagrin, uh, personal space is more important to me than connectivity and in-flight entertainment. Uh, so at the end of the day, I still want to, you know, be able to stretch my legs out or at least feel my knees when I get off the flight. Hang on now. That's my favorite as well. I just have dealt with the reality that they keep tossing IFEC at us because they are squeezing us together. I want more space too, Seth. I'm just saying it's more important to me than even the IFEC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, once I get past that, uh, I'm a strangely sort of low maintenance kind of guy. I put my eye mask on and fall asleep half the time. Um, I, I will watch a movie if there's one on. I watch the moving map channel a lot. I become a connoisseur of sorts of the different moving map options. And some of the new ones are really spectacular. Um, and I can't believe I'm acknowledging this in public. But sure, <laughs> go for it. Uh, you know, I... I do like a good in-flight entertainment system. Um, I, I understand the value it presents, and I, I like that idea. I think the trend towards bring-your-own-device type platforms is starting, I think, domestically. You're going to see it a, very much on short haul. Even today with the A350 uh, interior unveiling, mm-hmm. uh, we had at Airbus earlier, uh, there was discussion of all these things, and uh, they made it very clear that they were, you know, line fitting for connectivity now because they recognized that they needed the internet service on board. Yeah. But they also made it very clear that these were long haul aircraft and in seat IFE was here to stay for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah, that that's something that we should point out. And and, and I wrote about this uh, a couple of months ago on the network. But the reality is that embedded IFE has become what we call a comfort factor. And it's one of the reasons why we actually cover embedded IFE news in the comfort category on the Runway Girl Network. Because people want to be able to sit back, relax, as they do in their home, and watch the television screen. And that's what we're seeing in flight. And yes, in-flight connectivity is essential for airlines that want to retain their business travelers. I can tell you, having just flown Aer Lingus, that um, it was it was wonderful to be able to use the system. It was actually Panasonic KU. It worked really, really well. I was incredibly happy to be able to clear some work, get some stuff done. But it was also nice to also then sit back and watch Dallas Buyers Club, which I haven't had a chance to see yet. And because I travel and work so much, I, the only time I ever get to see any bloody movies is on the in entertainment anyways. So passenger experience is important. But we should also talk about what's going on in the interior space. As Max said, the order books are bulging. Airbus and Boeing have increased production on their narrow body workhorses. And, of course, Boeing on the 787. The A350 actually now, as we've seen today, picking up steam and, and showing off their interiors and, and, and getting ready to start doing some deliveries here in the next uh, next few months. What was the date they gave you, Seth, on deliveries? Did they say? Before the end of the year. Before the... Ooh, that's... <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the comment was, that con- that guidance has not changed. We ooh. expect to deliver to Qatar before the end of the year. Oh, I see. I see. Well, that's interesting. Well, I think they're getting smarter, Max, in, in the way in their messaging to the world. I think Bombardier, Boeing, Airbus have all, you know, been hurt by making very explicit timelines that they then have seen move to the right. But what we are seeing is um, quite literally aircraft seat and IFE companies working around the clock to meet demand. It is pretty amazing at the recent ISAT conference in San Diego, uh, the, you know, the, the chief dog in the aircraft leasing wor- world, Stephen Udvarhazi, said that some of these seat guys are working literally three shifts round the the clock 
they can't produce these seats fast enough. But there is a, a, a real bottleneck right now in the premium seating market. This is where the airlines get to pick and choose the kind of customized seats that they want. Seth, what did you see in seat-wise on the business class seats on the A350? A350 has some seat suppliers that are locked into uh, their kind of trusted suppliers that are in the catalog that airlines can pick. Do they offer a lot of customization opportunities there? So, yes and no. In the economy class cabin, you are stuck with one of the three seats they have. There's a Recaro, a Zodiac, and a Pinnacle. And they are the seats that you've seen now for the last several years. And, you know, those manufacturers are producing them by, you know, the crate load and shipping them down to Airbus and Boeing. And those are what you'll get. And that is a strict rule that Airbus has for the 350. There is no substitutions on those. You can pick, you know, your fabric color, but that's about the extent of it. Uh, For the business class, the premium seating, they have flexibility. So there is a catalog. There are five products. There's uh, Sojourna. There's... uh was it Equinox as well? Both Equinox and uh, Solstice. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the demo aircraft has Solstice installed. Uh, so I got to lie down in one of those briefly in the staggered layout. Um, there was uh, also a Zodiac seat, and there was also someone else, which I'm quite certain I wrote in the story, um, and now I'm blanking on the name of and having my notes on my other computer. So, uh, <laughs> Well, we'll include the link in this uh, piece. I'm sorry, the Cirrus and uh, the Cirrus seat. Is yeah, now, and that seat, and Max, um, I, and you've probably even seen headlines about this. This is the James Park Associates designed Cirrus seat. It is hugely popular. We're seeing it on American Airlines, on Cathay Pacific, on even U.S. Airways. Funny enough, they were one of the, the ones to get Early. rolling with it. Yeah, and um, I believe it was just recently uh, Air France that announced that they are uh, replacing their business class seats with Cirrus. And it couldn't come um, at, at a better time because they're actually having a real problem with personal electronic devices slipping in the gaps in their current business class seats on their 777s, Max. How about that? <laughs> That's, I mean, it's a real fire hazard. Those um, you know, LiPo batteries in our smartphones, once they get crushed into the seat mechanism, they cause a real fire hazard. Yeah, that does sound like a pretty dangerous situation. Yeah, they've had uh, a number of incidents now, so uh, I think those retrofits, they can't come soon enough. But that's what's happening on the interior side. Do you care about any of these interiors uh, developments, uh, Max? Oh, absolutely. You know, as a former manufacturing guy, though, I have to ask the question as as to just exactly what are the issues that the interiors industry is facing because of these uh, large uh, large order volumes? Is it is it just manufacturing capacity that's the issue? or is it development work that they have to do? Yeah, there's a number of issues. Number one, there actually is a great need in the aviation industry for engineers in this space. As you can imagine, and you av geeks particularly will appreciate this, that a lot of, you know, the aviation geek world that goes into engineering, they go into the manufacturing side and they go into the frame and they go into the engines. And oftentimes in the past, the cabin has been considered the kind of softer side. (laughs) And um, so there has been, unfortunately, uh, a, a lack of engineers on that side. And what I would like to reinforce there, though, is the fact that um, it, this is some really complicated stuff. I mean, like what we're talking about with respect to in-flight connectivity and IFE, you know, this is integration levels that have never before occurred. They are integrating into these seats 
this is um, it's something that you, you know if you're an aviation geek and you have any interest in the passenger experience and you're looking at engineering, I, I highly suggest taking a look at this part of the market um, because there are some some interesting opportunities available and it's something we need to start highlighting more on the network. Some of the job opportunities out there here, but so it's it's a manpower issue, a woman power issue, I should say as well. Um, it's also Yes, demand. It's keeping pace with demand. That's quite difficult. And a lot of these airlines, they have to obviously order well in advance of taking delivery of the aircraft. They need to specify the types of seats and IFE that they want. But unfortunately, by the time they get, you know, to rolling out that aircraft, some of this uh, these systems look a little outdated. And this was something that was addressed at the Passenger Experience Conference today, Fly Dubai, in fact, said, you know, look, you know, by the time we get these aircraft, the, the, the IFE, for example, while it, you know, while it's great, it just doesn't look anywhere near like what people have in their own pockets. I mean, Seth, you experience this all the time with these legacy IFE systems. and Yeah. And I mean, I've been, I'm mostly a United flyer. I think we've mentioned that before. And I fly, I've been flying their 757s across the Atlantic basically since they started doing it, which was a long time ago at this point. And there was one round of upgrades to the IFE kit, I think, but it's still a pretty old system. It doesn't have a lot of selections. It's a little slow. It's a little clunky. Uh, I, there's usually one or two movies I want to watch, and the flights are short enough that I do that. I take a nap, and I'm good. But you can see the difference, and it's you know one of those things. It's anything that's 10 years old and hasn't been touched is going to really start showing its age. And when you talk to Airbus and they say you need to lock in your decisions on these things 20 months out, you know, it's anywhere between 12 and 20 months for some of the decisions on the interior fittings. The amount of change that happens in the industry in a 10 and a 12 to 20 month window is huge. And so you basically have to, and you're not going to necessarily pick what's brand new because you don't know if it works yet because no one else has it installed. And so unless you're truly, you know, unless you're willing to take those risks as a carrier, and they are very, very real risks that could delay deployment of the aircraft, uh, you have basically an old slow system even before you start and some airlines have done better than others at sort of maintaining and upgrading and keeping you know keeping pace but the reality is a lot of these systems you know the third gen fourth gen systems that they're calling it now still are kind of old by the time they get on board I mean, and that's something also that we should mention, Max, is that, you know, some of these airlines, they realize when they're, you know, taking delivery of new design wide bodies such as the 787 and the A350 and they're, and they're, these aircraft are rolling off the line uh, with systems and services that, you know, just don't seem to keep pace with, with what's going on on the ground, then the airframers are under pressure. So we know of airlines then that are knocking on the door of the airframer saying, well, I know I ordered this, you know, how many months ago, but you know, is there any way I can update it to this latest and greatest system? And that's, you know, that's something really to think about. There's a lot of pressure on the airframers. They're trying to stay within their delivery schedules. You know, it, it is, it's, it, I mean, I guess a lot of people would say it's a good problem to have, but if you're an airline that wants a really customized business class seat right now, you're looking at at least 20 months uh, from what we understand, and possibly even longer, depending upon the maturity of the product that you've selected. So if you want the latest and greatest with all the bells and whistles, and if you're working with a company maybe that's a little bit more of a newcomer to the space, you're also looking at uh, those types of issues. So it's 
So much going on, Max. We could talk your ear off on that one. And with those kind of long lead times, obviously it's difficult to react quickly. And airlines will want to react quickly as they try to keep pace with uh, the the developments and uh, make adjustments to the experience that they're providing to their passengers. Absolutely, and the sorry, and the added the added challenge there is, you know, when you own ten or twenty wide bodies, it's relatively easy to roll out a new seat. When you own two hundred, and you've got to now swap out thousands of seats at a quarter million dollars a pop, it's a very significant capital expense. It's a very significant, you know install expense, taking planes out of service, everything. And you've got to try to do it reasonably quickly to give your customers a consistent experience. But I mean, there's still people complaining that United took seven years to roll out their flatbed business class product that, quite frankly, was probably out of date when they started. But now that they just finished in 2013, it's horribly out of date. Right. Speed counts for a lot. It really does. Seth, recently you wrote a pretty thought-provoking piece for the network that was titled, Will Airline Cuts Make Us Loyal to Ourselves? Seth, why did you think that this was uh, important to write this piece? You know, I'm probably one of the more bullish people out there about airline loyalty programs, frequent flyer points, and the value that can be derived from them. And that comes from spending the better part of the last decade or more playing the game probably at a reasonably high level and very aggressively. Um, It was a lot of fun for me, and I got some incredible value out of it. I was traveling places I never could have gone and doing it in premium cabins and doing it on the cheap, and that was fantastic. But the more I've looked at the programs uh, and sort of some of the changes that are going on recently, uh, what I've started seeing, and this isn't new, but it's getting more and more pronounced, is that the low-end sort of elite status is basically no longer worth the cost of acquiring it, in my opinion. And so if you've got someone who is sort of purposefully spending 20 to 50 bucks a flight extra to make sure that they're, you know, quote-unquote loyal to their favorite airline, what you end up doing over the course of a year is spending several hundred dollars towards that loyalty, and what it gets you back is a free checked bag on your 10 flights a year, which at 25 to 35 bucks a pop, it's 250 or $300, and you've probably spent double that to get there. Um, and even worse is for the 20, you know, the sort of 49 to $99 annual fee on a credit card, you get that same benefit of the free check bag and, you know, somewhere in the realm of priority boarding. You might not get a, upgrades necessarily, but you probably weren't getting those anyways as a low-tier elite. So there are definitely times and places where the elite status has value, and it's, you know, still something that I think is worth it for some customers, but especially for the, I'll say, not very frequent flyer, but someone who's still flying, you know, a decent amount, uh, you know, a low-end business traveler or something like that who's spending some money and whatever, it's getting harder and harder to justify the costs of chasing it. Certainly for leisure travelers, it's getting incredibly hard to justify chasing a low-end elite status. I mean, for me, I'm flying 200,000 miles a year at sort of makes sense for me to try to put at least, you know, a decent half of that chunk on one place and get the benefits that come with it. But at 50,000 miles a year, there's no way I could see value in doing that. Of course. And and I just saw recently when you updated that uh, you had just been upgraded to business class based on, of course, your strong loyalty status with United Airlines. Sure. Um, So it clearly still has its benefits to you. Right. But that was a upgrade I got, relatively speaking, on the cheap. Yeah. And it was 
arguably was it worth paying you know 100 bucks extra on the fare to have the chance to upgrade that might not have come through and only came in three days before the flight it's like a roll of the dice yeah we call it the upgrade lottery um <laughs> you know, the w fare lottery because you have to buy a slightly higher fare and you're playing the lottery you're, you're giving them money and you might win right and it, it, the odds are completely opaque you have no idea if you have a chance it's uh it's an interesting game but <laughs> and i did some research and picked a flight that i was reasonably confident would but it was uh it went, got down to three days prior, and I was starting to wonder. Oh my goodness, Max, are you a uh, do you, are you a loyalty guy? Do you have your allegiances? Well, I tend to, but I you know I believe that good service can help retain loyalty. We probably all believe that, but I also believe that just one bad experience can quickly break it. And for some people, do you think a, a service takeaway, a, a loyalty program takeaway or reduction is just that kind of bad service? Will that sour people? I think so. Uh, absolutely. And we've seen anything from the United CEO calling some elites over entitled and talking about reducing their benefits. And he was specifically referring to the bottom tier 25,000 mile flyers and their free access to Economy Plus booking. Uh, that was the benefit that was removed, and he considered that to be something that they just never deserved and then shouldn't have anymore. Uh, you take that, you take uh, Delta saying that you know you get reduced check baggage now as a silver medallion, or you know any one of a number of these benefits. You know the benefits package for elite status is sort of this suite, and it's a sort of little bit of everything. And you know maybe it's a check bag, maybe it's a priority line, maybe it's a this, maybe it's a that, but. Any one passenger is going to feel differently about that. For me, the check bag allowance for free isn't really worth much. I have very rarely checked a bag. For other people I know who travel, it's huge because they're commuting back and forth between, say, Central America and the United States, and there's a lot of things they can't get down there very reasonably priced. So every time they come up to North America, they pack their three 70-pound bags and bring home 200 pounds of cargo, and they do it for free every week or every month or whatever it is. So. You know, everyone has different needs and different value from the different benefits package. And then you get, you know, an airline has to look at sort of the overall stats of who's using what and where the sort of different value is. And, you know, maybe the people buying higher priced fares are also using check bags more often, but we can take away their priority check in line because, you know, that's, you know, a softer benefit that doesn't really matter as much. But if we take away their free check bags, those are the fares we're going to lose. And so there's a, a lot of interesting sort of data mining and analysis and analytics that has to go into doing this if you want to do it right. Now, I assume the airlines do some of that. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they do all of it, but I'm sure there's some at least trying to go on out there. <laughs> Max, can you see why I've added Seth Miller to the network now? <laughs> it's, well, a brilliant move, Mary. A brilliant move. <laughs> <laughs> My good Lord. It's, uh, I do want to say before we start wrapping things up uh, that uh, and we would be remiss not to mention, of course, the, the continuing tragedy and saga of MH370. And uh, this is something we're going to talk about here in, in the future on the on the podcast. It is going, this situation is a watershed moment in the aviation industry. It is absolutely going to invoke industry change. Just in the last week alone, we've had statements out of IATA, out of the Airline Pilots Association, out of some of the uh, major airlines, uh, NTSB, and they are all saying that it is now time to have 
tracking uh, of flights and that this can never happen again. So this is something that we we uh, we haven't forgotten about. We know the seriousness of it, and we're looking at all the different uh, technologies that are out there and, and the possibilities. But I think it's fair to say now that we are going to start seeing some industry change. Max, um, uh, I, I'm sure you've kind of been keeping an eye on, on what's going on, and, and, and I haven't had a chance to check the very, very latest. Um, has anything come out yet of, uh, of, of the black box search? I, I understand that they were, they were narrowing down the search here just, just earlier today. And anything at all, to your knowledge? Um, nothing really um, significant other than the fact that they seem to be getting signals in uh, different locations separated by some distance. And what that means, we don't know if it's a single source, multiple sources, or and if any of them are associated with MH370 uh, at this moment. There's, uh, it, that's unknown. Yeah. Well, it's an area where we have been very cautious about. We don't want to speculate. We know other networks have been doing that. We're not interested in speculating. Um, in fact, so many people have said, well, Mary, you can tell me. What do you think? And I just say, I absolutely don't know. And I think for anyone to say otherwise um, is whistling Dixie, as they say. Um, well, we're rapidly coming to a close, but I want to thank our listeners. Thank you so much, guys. This has been fantastic, and, and, and it's great to see the response. Remember, you can always find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. And be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And please remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We have a lot of great uh, industry stakeholders, uh, prominent bloggers and journalists and travelers joining in. And, and, and it's really, really getting great. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, GoGo. And I'd like to thank Seth Miller for being our guest. Seth, where can listeners find you at? Um, I'm wandering Aramean, and it's an impossible thing to find online because all my Twitter handles and names and everything else are misspelled. But uh, W-A-N-D-R dot M-E is a good place to start, and you'll find all the other links from there. Yeah, and you've got all kinds of travel tools on there, which is something that we should mention. Seth has been actually providing some incredible services uh, to, the, to the travelers out there, and um, you can find it all on his blog. And, of course, also he's now a contributor to the network. Uh, his smiling face is on our lineup of contributors and he's providing some great content as well and we'll be releasing his uh, big Airbus A350 story so uh, so thank you so much Seth alright well Seth and Mary enjoy the Aircraft Interiors Expo and all the rest of you join us again soon as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX Podcast 